Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Elijah Fire, episode 107. Happy Friday, everybody. We're starting an hour later, but it's for a good cause. And it's going to be a great, great episode. I've just been feeling an excitement like all day, but all week and all couple of weeks since uh since we booked this guest so i've been looking forward to this for a long time my guest today is super awesome and uh, i can't wait he's a prophetic voice he's a preacher he's also a gifted bible teacher as well so we're going to be covering a lot of ground today it's going to be amazing let's give it up for my guest today costin woodhouse costin woodhouse good morning well, good, morning for me anyway. <laughs> good morning to that side of the world. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're in the future right now, which is amazing. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good uh, afternoon. <laughs> yes. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, so is your name, is it German? Is that the, is that what you pronounce it? Karsten or is it just? Yeah. Karsten. It's pretty, yeah. pretty hard sort of R. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So, okay, man. So your last name is Woodhouse. For those that aren't drawing the connection, what is the connection there? And my beautiful wife is Mandy Woodhouse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Two prophets in one house. So it's, uh, it's yeah. amazing here. Yeah, it's a party. It's a, it's a yeah. whole party. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself before we get into the nitty gritty? Yeah, sure. So we've been in ministry in one form or another for about 20 years, different forms of leadership, discipleship. I love the prophetic. Uh, we've been uh, uh, church planners, church leaders, uh, been Bible teachers at various levels, and just passionate, mate, about equipping the body of Christ with yeah, our identity and in the gifts of the prophetic. Come on. We lived in America for 10 years. Uh, my heart for the American body of Christ <laughs> is, um, <laughs> I, I don't even know how to describe it, Jeff, uh, uh, absolutely sold out um, mm. you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ in um, the most intimate terms that I can that I can put in my spirit I, I absolutely love um, you guys there in America and I gave my life to it for 10 years oh man yeah yes well I I love the Australian uh, like prophetic community as well I I have a question because my wife she works for the Elijah list as well she's um, responsible for editing a lot of the prophetic words and getting them published and all that stuff. Um, she's the assistant editor. Um, and both of us are talking about it. We're like, there are a lot of really powerful prophetic voices that have come out of Australia. Have you ever drawn the conclu- the connection as to why? Uh, I, Cause I've always been really curious. I'm like, God's doing something in Australia. Yeah. I'm not sure I have a perfect answer, but uh, about 10 years ago, I heard a lot of prophecies about Australia and America almost running hand in hand in the prophetic. Mm. And I've, we've watched that happen very much. Yeah, um, almost like in the natural, there's a sort of allies and stuff like that. There's in the spirit, I very much feel where each other's cheer squads mm-hmm. and even each other's defender, you know, um, uh, God gave me a vision of, uh, the tribes of Israel possessing the promised land. And, you know, um, there's the two half tribes on one side of the Jordan and they get their promised land kind of early. And then later on, when the other 10 tribes cross the river, uh, God had commanded them and Moses had commanded them. And then um, Joshua comes and says, just as Moses and the Lord commanded you, 
even though you settled in your promised land, you're to go and help your brothers. And so all the men of war crossed the Jordan with the other tribes and helped them take their land. I feel like we have that kind of relationship between the, mm. the, the prophetic voice and the bodies of Christ, the body of Christ, only one uh, yeah. in America and Australia, doing that for each other. Yeah, come on. Yeah, that's great. Okay, man, let's get into this because you were on Mandy's podcast, the Outrageous mm-hmm. Hope podcast, and there was an episode you did, and it was on the whole topic of being a new creation. And I was just like, I told you backstage, that I listened to that episode probably six times, seven times, yeah. something like that. Um, and I even just listened to it again this morning and I was just like, man, like there's just, it's such a good teaching. So we're going to be talking about uh, among other things, but we're going to kind of lead in with the whole idea of what it means to be a new creation in Christ. So I'm going to let you just go for it and we'll just see where it goes. Awesome. Awesome. I have this saying, so when I teach Bible interpretation, um, if you were to ask any of my former students, what's the best way to interpret the Bible? And uh, they will all immediately tell you the best way to interpret scriptures is through the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to go straight to uh, Romans chapter 6, read a little bit, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story around that. Is that good? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So I've got my beautiful New American Standard in my hand here. Nice. Uh, this is, I think, some of the most uh, pivotal New Covenant scriptures in, in the New Testament. Uh, it's a Romans 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Just really strange statement. I'll have a look at it in a second. Hmm. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And there's that new creation there. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, and this is like a hammer, this verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be made powerless or void so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. When I got saved in um, 1999, I, I heard the language about being born again, and, and many of us have, right? Mm-hmm. You've heard it. You know, we, we, we kind of grew up into Christ hearing that language. Right. And in some respects, I was taught that in uh, a very healthy manner, but, but very much a, uh, a very un, sort of unexploded, unarticulated, uh, un, uh, un, maybe even ununderstood in a way uh, or, or limited in understanding. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm new. And so... I came to Christ radically. So I was an angry, um, becoming violent, highly drinking a lot uh, teenager, broken and, and insecure and, and just living my life um, you know, in, this, in this downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And I walked into a, a church, responded to a very simple altar call. The Holy Spirit hit me really hard and I was instantly different. I was just, you know, We'll, we'll quote Second um, Corinthians five seventeen. It says, "If any man be in Christ, uh, he's a new creation. 
Yeah. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And we would hear these verses. And so I knew I was new. And I went home and uh, I used to swear, uh, like, like cuss words and and um, and even vulgar things would come out of my mouth constantly. My mum was embarrassed to be around me. Oh, wow. And, it was just like kind of, it just kind of flew out of your mouth constantly. It was like something out of a movie. You know how, you, um, you know, before you come to Christ, you watch some of these movies and they're violent, yeah. but it'd be that one character and every second word is a, is a, is a cuss word. And, uh-huh. you know, the yeah. jokes that come out of vulgar, like, you know, extremely vulgar. Yeah. And that was me. Hmm. And, um, and I went home from church and I went by myself. I was invited um, through a whole bunch of amazing God encounters and I'd stopped swearing instantly. I didn't even realize. Wow. And dude. yeah. That's cool. <laughs> and the, it's amazing. Hey, praise God. And the, and the vulgar stuff obviously was gone. And even the, the kind of hatred and the anger and the, the displeasure and the, 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 the kind of depression, um, that 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 was that had, that had plagued my life was gone, and so I went home and I hugged my sister, which I hadn't. I used to treat my uh, my, oh, my siblings man, really poorly, awesome. and uh, my mum she cried and she ran off from the room and hid in her bedroom. She didn't. I didn't know for about three months because she got saved about three months later, hmm. and so there's this radical 180 um, degree turn in my life. Fast forward about two years, and then. Uh, as some people may have experienced, like condemnation began to creep in. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened is sin began to creep back into my life. And uh, things like lust and pornography and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, just, just, just stuff would, would begin to creep into my life. And right. I began to pull back from God, pull back from fellowship, not intentionally. It was just a struggle with condemnation. Mm-hmm. And I went on this journey, which really lasted about 13 years, of discovering that... Uh, or rediscovering what I knew when I first got saved. And that is that mm. when you come to Christ, you really are a new creation. Now, I want to add a statement to that, and that goes with why I read uh, Romans chapter 6 straight away. And that is that nobody told me I was dead. Hmm. I'm going to let that hang for a second. Yeah. yeah. Maybe even uncomfortably long. I'm so good with awkwardness. Yeah, let's do it, dude. <laughs> so when I came to Christ, nobody told me I was dead. I didn't know it. So when I read Romans 6, especially those first seven verses, I just had no idea what that meant. Yeah. And so I just glossed through it, you know. And uh, then you know, about around uh, four to five years ago, I, uh, I began to get a revelation of the reality, really an articulated revelation of who I really am in Christ hmm. and that I really am a new creation and not only am I a new creation, but the old Carsten Woodhouse died in October 99. Come he just on. doesn't live anymore. Come on. Uh, that's what the scripture says. It says it very plainly that when I was baptized into Christ, I was baptized not only into his into Christ in the in this kind of broad sense of the term, but I was baptized into his death and resurrection. Mm. So mm. I died with him in baptism and I was raised to a new form of a life. Mm. And no, I could jump to verses like uh, John chapter 8, where Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. <laughs> and knowing the truth about who I really am transformed my walk because I recognized that, you know, we say things like not every thought that you have is yours. 
Right. And that's a that's a that's a real that's a reality. We've taken tons of ground in that space in the body of Christ. So people recognize in the body of Christ fairly uh, commonly, at least in the streams that I walk in um, for the most of most of the time that, hey, you know, thought comes in and we take it captive. You're like, oh, man, that's not that's not that's the enemy. You know, mm-hmm. some some ridiculous accusation comes or or even some some thought, you know, that's that's violent or or, 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 right. or, or, or think something bad about yourself or somebody else. And you're like, hang on a second. That's not my thought. You know, that's that's the enemy. And so you just you capture that thing. Sorry, bringing the shot. You capture that thing and you, you take it captive and you, you get yep. rid of it. Mm-hmm. But recognizing that there are the things like um, desires and for sin and and uh, and and uh, uh, thoughts that draw you towards sin. Recognizing hey, their, their origin is really the enemy. Yeah, and that that uh, they don't define you. It's probably yeah. a better way of putting it. You know. Um, it, it, there's a, a almost a temptation to be defined by the battles that you have rather than your identity in Christ. Come on, dude. Yes. Yes, man. Yeah. So yeah. knowing knowing who I am and getting, excuse me, getting a, a greater revelation that, hey, the, the, the old is gone and I am a new creation. Mm-hmm. I was just able to walk continually in sustained freedom. Oh, man. Yeah, because I'm no longer defined by mm. the things that come against me, the battles that I face. Yeah. I recognize, hey, I'm a new creation. Yeah, guys, this is exactly why I was so excited because I felt in the spirit there are people who are watching this who are going to experience like tr- like they're going to realize the truth of how free they are from things that have been gripping them, from gripping you guys for a long time. So just come on just like that's that's what god is after he's after he wants us to get this because it's true and there's a reason why there's a reason why this whole topic of dying and being alive in christ like why that keeps repeating itself within the new testament so um yeah and just the truth that something that god is speaking to me throughout the summer was just romans like i couldn't get out of romans and i would sit there for like like a week on like three verses <laughs> on. and then like, I couldn't get farther. God would be like, read it again, read it again, read it again, read it again. I'd sit there for like, you know, half an hour reading three verses over and over and over again. Yep. Um, and it was just this whole idea. God was just speaking to me about this whole thing. And then, you know, Colossians says we are now hidden with Christ in God. Well, where's Christ? Scripture says he's seated at the right hand of the father. Amen. The implications of that. I mean, this is exactly what you're talking about. So so good, man. So, so, so good. I'd love to comment on Romans. Um, if we get time, we'll talk about a bit about biblical literacy later. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I did when I first went to Bible college, and, and so many of us, I'm sure, have experienced this, got possibly even taught it, is using the book of Romans like a textbook. Now, when I what I mean specifically by that is that uh, when you read a, say, you know, college textbook, a university textbook, uh, a high school textbook, whatever, it's chopped into chapters, right? And and those chapters are thematic, so they will address an issue one theme at a time, and those chapters are kind of they're self-contained, like that you could read the chapter on its own, right? The problem is Romans is not a textbook; it's a letter mm-hmm. that explains the gospel in a unbroken chain of thought from verse fifteen in chapter one all the way to the end of Romans 8 and really to the end of Romans 11, but 
ah, that's a lot to swallow in one statement. But um, but, but for our um, purposes, you can't chop Romans into chapters. You will come up with some really funky theology hmm, and you will what? end up in bondage. Oh. Uh, and so uh, I'll just leave it at that and we can talk about biblical um, uh, uh, literacy later. Okay. But there's a revolution happening and the book of Romans is right at the center of it as mm-hmm. it was at the center of the Reformation in the 1500s. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. it explains the righteousness of faith and not just our positional righteousness, but the change of nature that has happened in our hearts. Mm-hmm. It explains it all start to finish and it's all one beautiful package, not kind of A plus B and they're kind of separated. Um, mm. Anyway. Yeah. I would love to talk about a little bit about the new covenant in terms of new creation from yeah. um, Book of Hebrews, if that's all right. Please, yeah. let's do it. Let's jump in. Yeah, awesome. This is fun. <laughs> so, the, the, I just talked about reading books without making them into textbooks where you don't break them into chapters. But unfortunately, for the usage of time, I'm just going to cut straight into a little bit of uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Okay. Um, I feel like, uh, in fact, I believe that uh, Romans and Hebrews are almost like a Rosetta stone into understanding the entirety of the scriptures. Hmm. Um, first to the, um, oddly enough, first to the Gentile and to the Jew um, in terms of if I was to put them in order of Romans and then Hebrews. Yeah. Well, and they're, um, dense. they're really, really dense. And it's interesting. You're actually going dense. into Hebrews because I spent a bunch of time in Romans and God actually is ju- literally, I have it in marked right here. Hebrews, like that's where I'm starting. Now. Ah, love it. Like, not even joking. The Holy so, Spirit's yeah. so on this. Hey? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Jeff. Yeah. All right. I'm going to read most of chapter 10. Okay. Let's do it. So we're going to hit it. I know it's tons of scripture for a podcast, but um, oh, I don't care. Hey, man. Yes. The best yeah. way to interpret scripture is through scripture with the help of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, the best sermons have already been written. They're called the New Testament. Come on, dude. Yeah. All right. You ready? For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of these things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to have been offered? So there's these sacrifices every day and every year in the law. For the nation, for the Jewish nation, for the, for the nation of Israel, and it says, "Hey, if they worked, then they would stop." I'll give you a better analogy in a minute, but it says that they can never make perfect those who draw near; otherwise, they would have stopped. Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. We talk about a big, big, big part of being free is actually not having a sin consciousness. We've talked about that heaps in the body of Christ, and thank God. But listen to this. In those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, that he is Jesus. When Jesus comes into the world, he says, and this is his quoting um, from Psalms, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That's the body of Christ. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. 
So on the one hand, you've got sacrifices and sins that, for sins that happened over and over and over and again, like around and around in circles. And it says that he's taken no pleasure in that. Now, when you read that, that's a bit of a way of saying it wasn't actually God's will. This cycle of sacrifice over and over again that never fixes the problem isn't God's will. But Jesus, the body of Christ, comes to do the will of God, which was something that the sacrifices of the old covenant couldn't do. So we want to know what that will is. Yeah. And then he says, and this is verse 8, after saying the above, sacrifices and offerings and, and sacrifices for sin, you've not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he says, behold, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So you've got these sacrifices that just can't cleanse you that are happening over and over and over and over again, round and round circles we go every year, every day under the law. These offerings that never take away sins, but then Jesus, and it says if, if they'd worked, then they would have stopped. Right. But then Jesus comes along and offers his body, and it does once in one hit what all of the sacrifices couldn't do after one after the other. I'm going to talk about, in fact, the scripture is going to talk about what that does for us. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to give you a, um, an illustration. Now, this is a fairly gritty illustration, so um, please don't, um, don't take offense to it. But um, imagine a person that is, has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Now, I've walked with people um, with terminal illness and so on, so please I don't I mean to be insensitive to people. Um, but you know when you when you when you see a diagnosis of a terminal illness and and so there's things statements like you know there's nothing we can do for you nothing more we can do for you and then um, so that often there's a prescription and that prescription is usually a painkiller hmm. and so you take the painkiller or the person takes the painkiller every day and it you know, you know rhetorical question does the painkiller cure the disease or the or the or the, the condition no. We know the answer, right? So, mm -hmm. so every day, probably multiple times a day, there's the taking of these painkillers and different, you know, different different treatments to try to mitigate or temporarily mitigate the symptoms of the terminal illness. But it never fixes the problem, and ultimately, the result is the end of a terminal illness. You know, so the person passes away. And you now we are. The question is. What's better than a painkiller? Well, we, what we want is a cure, right? If we find a cure, one pill that we take once, then we never have to mitigate the, the, the uh, symptoms again. The offerings for sin under the law are a temporary mitigation of the conscience of the worshipper, but they can never actually fix the problem of sin. Hmm. They just keep going round and round in circles. They make a sacrifice for sin and like, okay, the guilt's temporarily gone, but then they just go right back to their life of sin again. Mm -hmm. And so we're right back again at a guilt offering yeah. the next day or the next year. Mm -hmm. But then Jesus is a cure and he changes our condition so that we're no longer slaves to sin. So instead of us going round and round in circles with these sacrifices, they can never change us. He gives his body and his blood once to cleanse us on the inside so that we can begin to walk free from all the things that have plagued us, 
And that is the will of God that he's been talking about. He wants a people under himself through the righteousness of faith. He's always wanted that. A people that are compatible with him, that walk in his ways, that walk in intimacy with him. And we were incompatible. And the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus has done what the law and the sacrifices could not do. Mm. He's restored us to the image of God to make us compatible with him. Mm. So we can walk free from all those things that have plagued us. He has done what the old covenant could not do. It says this every priest. Actually, let that hang for a second. That's a lot. But I'll talk about how we cannot treat the body of Jesus Christ like the blood of of bulls and goats. Because it testifies to something different than the blood of bulls and goats testified to. Hmm. It says in verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, that's Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's powerful. Now, I know if you're reading an ESV or um, possibly a couple other translations, it'll say being sanctified. That is not what the ver- what the um, what the, the verb means. It's a participle, and so it's very hard to uh, put it into English. But if you want some contextual proof on that, go back to verse ten, where it says, "For by his this will we have been sanctified." It's a perfect finished work. And then it says in uh, verse fifteen, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, and he's quoting from um, Jeremiah thirty-one, "This is the covenant that I'll make with them." After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. Then he also says, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sins. I want to go back to verse 3 for a second. I'm just hammering this. Are you guys okay? No, this is great. This is awesome. Yeah, this this is really good. In verse 3, it says this, but in those sacrifices, this is the sacrifices of bulls and goats. He says there's a reminder of sins year by year. I'm going to paint a parallel between that and the way I used to treat the blood of Jesus. So imagine this. You've got these sacrifices for sin. There's blood, the bulls and goats and different things. And they happen. There's daily sacrifices. And then there's the yearly sacrifice um, with the high priest. Mm-hmm. And um, Hebrews talks about this, and of course, it talks about this because the author explains himself. Yeah, um, because the best, is really the best quick, sermons... is that is that like is that considered Yom Kippur, like the Day of Atonement? Isn't that the Day of Atonement? Is that the same kind of the same thing? Like I'm not familiar with um, with some of the more, more like the modern terminology for the for the sacrifices yeah. and, and, and events. So I don't want to commentate on that. Okay, but but it is the atonement. Yeah, um, which. Funny enough, that's what Jesus has done for us. He's atoned us. Mm-hmm. He's the atonement sacrifice. Yep. But you, you've got these sacrifices happening every year and in and daily as well. And I want to I draw this parallel. When I treated, I'll speak for myself, but when I treated the blood of Jesus like the sacrifice of bulls and goats, what happened was this. I would see myself as a sinner 
even though I've been born again. Mm. I'd see myself as still in the same condition that I was before I came to Christ. So if I sinned, I would come to God and my repentance would look something like this. Oh, I'm so sorry, God, that I, not only that I'm sorry that I did it, but I'm sorry that I'm such a sinner, that I'm so broken, that I can't help but sin. Thank you for your grace that's almost in spite of me and my condition. And, um, you know, thank you for your forgiveness. I apply the blood of Jesus, right? But then I go straight, because I don't know who I am, I go straight back into the same cycle. So yeah. tomorrow, next week, next month, mm-hmm. next year, whatever, I go back. And, I'm, and I, you know, so, so I go straight back into the cycle again and I apply the blood of Jesus again. I'm like, ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. And I'm going to exaggerate a little bit. Well, not exaggerate. It's actually what I was thinking unconsciously. This is not an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your blood that forgives me in spite of the fact that I'm such a bad sinner. Now, remember that verse 3 of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 10, it says that in those sacrifices for sins, there's a reminder of sins every year or every day. What I was doing is I was using the blood of Jesus and suggesting in my mind that it actually testifies to the fact that I'm a sinner, but thank God that he forgives me. Wow. And this is what you're describing is something that I grew up in the church having even my pastor say. Yep. Uh, I, I'm taught a, it. Yeah, I'm a dirty rotten sinner. Yep. You know, I you know that's all I am. I'm dirty rotten sinner saved by grace. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And and it. not to not to downplay grace. I have been saved by grace, but I've been really? transformed by it yeah, as well. So yeah, thank good. God for that. Yeah. And this is not what the blood of Jesus actually testifies to. The blood of Jesus testifies to your righteousness. So when I come to the Lord, there's a different kind of repentance where if I know who I am in Christ and I do something that's outside of my character, I'm able to come to the Lord and say, I'm so sorry that I did that because I'm genuinely sorry because I love you and that's not who I am anymore. Mm. Thank you that your blood has cleansed me. Thank you that it has forgiven me and that I don't have to keep walking in that anymore. Mm. And from that place of freedom, there's actually a thing called godly re- godly remorse that comes where instead of me just beating up on myself and identifying with the sin and the, the temptation that I faced, being able to go to God and say, thank you, you actually cleansed me from that. And because mm. I know that I'm clean and that I walk free, I just am genuinely sorry because I love you. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash donate. Just like if I were to accidentally sin against Jeff because he's my friend, I don't come to Jeff and say, oh, Jeff, please forgive me. I'm such a sinner. I can't help but hurt you all the time. It's, I'm powerless. No, my, because I have a real relationship with you and I love you. Yeah. I'm going to say, man, I'm so sorry I did that. And there's, and, and you just don't, you walk free. Like, it's not that I'm not having the power to, to walk free from it. It's, it's more like a relational repentance where I'm like, man, I'm so sorry I did that. What the, sure. What was that? And then I'm able to take yeah. responsibility and say, man, I, I did the wrong thing by you. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Because you're, yeah. So if you sinning against me, if we're, you doing something, especially if it's, it's something I know that would rupture the friendship, right? I'm yeah. not going to be like, by you doing that doesn't automatically make you not friends with me anymore 
And so you knowing that we're still friends, that changes your perspective rather than being like, we're no longer friends until I repent, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm going to give you two illustrations that help with this because people can come unstuck really quick with these sort of scriptures. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can start asking all these sort of theological questions that are kind of detached from the scripture a bit. And I've asked them too, and they're fair enough. But, you know, like, but we want to we want to stay in the realm of what the scripture is saying rather than trying to pulling that scripture out into these yeah. big theological philosophical arguments um, and get off track. Uh, and so uh, there's this theory called broken windows theory. And uh, Mayor Giuliani, um, former mayor of New York, um, he came into power and then put this thing in place where you, know, you see all these old factories and stuff and they'd have broken windows, right? So they'd be run down window factories. And so they were covered in graffiti and there's broken windows and, you know, kids would throw rocks or whatever mm -hmm. at these windows from behind the barbed wire or whatever. And so the internet just repair all of these, these buildings so there's no broken windows. Because they notice that if there's one broken window, the chances of there being a second one or multiple with broken windows were extravagantly higher. You've been so far. Mm -hmm. Here's the deal. The blood of Jesus has actually cleansed your conscience. So you don't live with a sin consciousness. You don't live with a broken conscience that says, oh, I'm just a sinner. Because if you think that, it's like having a broken window in your life. If you've got one broken window or 10 broken windows, what's another one? Mm. And so when you face yeah. temptation, if you recognize that you are righteous, the idea of sin becomes repulsive to you. Right? You don't throw a window at the brand new building that's come you know the, yeah. that's come down the street because it's yeah. perfect, right? It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. If you understand who you are in Christ and that you're righteous, the thought of polluting, of breaking the window on your beautiful renovated house is ridiculous. It's repulsive. Like I'd never want to do that. Yeah. It's like if you have a cup full of clean water, the thought of putting a drop of sewage in it is absurd. Yeah. <laughs> But if you think that you are a cup full of dirty water still, that what's on the inside of you is still the same old person that you used to be, then what's one more little drop of right? Water? And you're actually living with a broken conscience because you don't know who you are. And I didn't know who I was. Mm. And the enemy will, will throw everything. He will, he will bankrupt hell to try to convince you that you're still that old person because he wants you to live in bondage. Mm. He wants you to identify with the temptations you face. He wants you to identify with whatever sin that you've you've done in the past because he wants to say, hey, you're a building with broken windows. And then when you face that temptation, you're like, oh, man, you look at the, the false image of that broken window, that broken building, and you're like, oh, man, I'm such a sinner. I, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't live in this temptation. I'm, I'm going to fold. I'm going to, mm -hmm. and, um, and it's just going to take me again because I'm, I'm still that same old, whatever the cycle was, and I'm just going to fall into it again. I'm helpless, I'm, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the enemy will yap, 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 yap. He'll tell you every single lie he can that's contrary to what the word of God says about your new creation to get you to fold mm -hmm. and, uh, and to live in that and to identify with that and say, I'm still that same person, still that whatever it was I was addicted to or that same cycle and get you there and get you to live in that space when actually your freedom has been purchased by the blood Come of Christ. Man. Yeah. And this is where, and maybe I'm getting a little ahead of, of you in this, but this is where a lot of people, I see a lot of people say, oh, I'm just, um, 
I'm just a worrywart. I'm just anxious. I'm, right. uh, I'm just this, or I'm like, it, you look at these things that are negative and you attribute them as part of who you are. And even if yeah. you weren't, um, I was talking to somebody about, um, the whole LGBTQ thing. We had a guest on, mm -hmm. she got taken out of that lifestyle. And we were talking about this notion where I said, regardless of where you stand on, on, uh, um, whether they were born this way or whether they weren't, it doesn't matter because according right. to scripture, they're actually born again. So that's regardless right. of that, like that's kind of almost an arbitrary thing because, yeah. because regardless of that scripture, at least is that hinging point where we can yeah. hinge on that. Oh, you're a new creation now. Right. So, yeah. so all of these different things fall into this category of like what the blood of Jesus has done for us. Right. Exactly. So you have nailed something the enemy is trying to be do. And that's not just within that realm, but but multiple realms. Anxiety is probably another one. Uh, I've noticed uh, something when God is doing something and releasing a revelation to his bride, the enemy will respond in the opposite. And so notice that anxiety and identity are two of the things that the enemy has thrown himself on the floor of the world mm -hmm. and thrown a massive tantrum like a two-year-old. He's kicking and screaming about identity and anxiety because God is releasing a revelation of identity which undoes both of those worlds. Mm -hmm. This is a second reformation. It's the full picture of the righteousness of faith. And uh, it, it's the reality that we are transformed, absolutely transformed. And if we identify with the temptations we face, then we can pull us back into behaving right. like a dead man. Yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. exactly it. And that's yeah. we're going to see it. We're going to see a massive transformation in people's lives in all in both of those spheres because he's releasing the fullness of the gospel, mm. which is transformation. It's yeah. a new life. It's the revelation of what we would have so for so long used the words born again, but 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 not. I don't, I don't feel like I can even speak for myself, but just don't feel like we entirely understood it. And um, I didn't. No, I didn't. I and uh, when I got the revelation, man, yeah. cycles just broke off my life because I was like, temptation would come and I'd be like, hang on a second. So who I am. Yeah. Come and on. the power of it would just fall out of the sky. Yeah. That's because good. instead of me trying to trying to resist temptation as if I was under the law and I had to try to live holy in my own strength, I went back to the blood of Jesus and went, it testifies that I've been set free. So sorry, enemy, but you can't lie to me anymore. That is not who I am. Yeah. And I'm not interested. Yeah. And uh, you can't keep telling me I'm the same drug addict or the same, you know, I've had people sit with me, argue with me. Well, they're going to struggle with that for the rest of their life. Well, they would, except they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to your credit, uh, what you're saying, a friend of mine, her mom was a heroin addict. And then she came to the Lord and she said, uh, she, when she came to the Lord, this, I've been told with heroin addicts, this doesn't happen. Literally overnight, yes. heroin addiction, totally. gone. Like yep. never had a, a temptation ever again because she got what you're talking about. She got exactly. it. Um, yeah. I have lists of people because I've had a, a lot of ex, uh, experience with uh, working alongside uh, guys through Teen Challenge and stuff like that. I didn't work with Teen Challenge, but um, – they're often placed with me in different scenarios and uh, multiple, multiple testimonies, exactly that almost word for word. They're like, this never happens, mm. but <laughs> yeah. and totally 
clear. Um, different. Sometimes it was absolutely instantaneous. Sometimes they went through a little bit of cold turkey, and then in the midst of it, in the midst of it, withdrawal, the Holy Spirit's come. Um, if you've ever read the Cross and the Switchblade or um, mm. uh, uh, David Wilkinson's book, um, yeah, Cross and Switchblade, just just and and the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and just seeing people through the Holy Spirit get a revelation of who they are, and then bang, walking free. And this is the crux of it. This is the ground that is being taken in the body of Christ right now, among other things. But this is one of the central things he's doing. Yeah. I'd love to just read a couple of um, scriptures just to couch this. Is that all right? Yeah. This will blow your mind because I believe that the entire new covenant is contained in the Old Testament. Yeah, there we go. I'll just Come let on. that hang for a second. <laughs> Martin Luther, among others, um, said in the the in the old is the new contained and in the new is the old explained. <clears throat> um, and there are, there are multiple people in the last 500 years who've said similar things. Calvin says another thing. In the old is the new contained and in the new is the old explained. Mm. So the best commentary you can find in the Old Testament is the New Testament. Yeah, come on. There might wind up a few Bible teachers out there, but they'll put some thought into it and you'll get it. Yeah, but to the what you stuff. said about Scripture, what's the best way to interpret Scripture? It's through Scripture with the, scripture. the Holy Spirit. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what the writers of Romans and Hebrews have done. This is going to blow your mind. And I'm, it's Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel okay. 36, verses 25 through 27. I'm looking slightly to the viewer's um, side here because I've got my other laptop next to me. Um, I've got it right in front of me. Uh, this will blow your mind. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Wait for it. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. <laughs> that's that's the Old Testament talking about right. the new covenant. <laughs> People say, oh, the heart's just, oh, I'll probably throw a grenade into your, um, into your chats, but um, uh People talk about, oh, the heart's deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? Yeah, but you've been given a new heart. Yeah. You've been given a new heart. And not only have you given a new heart, but inside that heart or, or one with you is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And he, instead of having, let me paint a picture here, it says, it says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Romans 8 verse 2 says that the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Um, He's put his spirit inside of us. He's given us this new nature on the inside, put holiness on the inside. So as we walk with him in intimacy with him, we just walk differently. Mm. Really quick. Equal 36 versus what? Oh, uh, 25 through 30. uh, Sorry, 25 through 27. 27. Ezekiel 36 versus 25 through 27. Uh, one thing that someone said to me once, this helped me with this revelation big time. It's like the penny just dropped. He said, stop trying to live like Jesus and let him live through you. Because when yes, you try to man. live like Jesus, <laughs> when you try to live like Jesus, because you're one with him, right? You've been crucified yeah. with Christ. 
Yeah. And it's no longer you that lives, but Christ who lives through in you. That's that's this whole co-crucifixion thing. You you were dead. You were buried with Jesus. The old Carsten Woodhouse, the old Jeff Tharp, the old you, whoever you are watching, you died. The old person's gone. Come it's on. Jesus on the inside now. And if you, instead of trying to live like Christ, which is essentially to try and live by the law, hmm. instead of doing that, let the Holy Spirit, let, the, let Jesus live through you and recognize that inside of you there's only him. And if you just let him live through you, recognize who you are in Christ, you'll find that you just live differently. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that's what Ezekiel 30, 36 is saying here. I'll put my spirit inside of you, give you a new heart, and he'll cause you to walk in his statutes. He'll cause you to walk in holiness. The old covenant puts holiness as a law on the outside, and they were sinful people. They had sin on the inside. They were by nature sinful. So those sacrifices for sin, they're just going round and round in circles every year. Sacrifice for the guilt, but never changing who you are. Yeah. And so because holiness was out here, it's on the outside. You're trying to live up to it. Mm-hmm. But, but unholiness was on the inside. But the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit has come and put the law or more the put holiness on the inside. So instead of you trying to live up to this external demand, instead he's put holiness on the inside. Mm. Jesus said, he said, hey, he said to the Pharisees, among others, he said, you guys clean the, the, um, the outside of the bowl, right? Right. But on the inside, you are full of, Death and, and, and so on, right? And, and, and immorality and, and adultery and uh, covetousness, excuse me. And he said to them, you, you hypocrites, clean the outside of the, sorry, clean the inside of the bowl, right? And the outside will be clean also, right? I think he's inviting them into the new creation. So watch this. He says to them, you guys clean the outside of the bowl, but on the inside you're full of all these things, yeah? But then he says, clean the inside of the bowl and the outside will be clean also. You guys with me? Yeah. And <laughs> the teacher's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So anybody listening, especially the mums out there who ha- get their kids or especially their teenage kids to clean the dishes, let me ask you a question. If I clean the inside of a bowl, is the outside clean? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, no. If I just clean the inside of the bowl, I mean, is the inside is the outside going to be clean? I mean, not not right away. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I get you. I mean, the mums are lying on what I'm talking about. If your kid cleans the inside of a bowl and doesn't clean the outside, the outside isn't clean. Right. So Jesus wasn't talking about bowls. The new covenant doesn't clean the outside and leave you unholy on the inside, struggling with sin. Mm. He cleans the inside of the bowl. And what comes out of your life is holiness. If you clean the inside of the person, the outside will be clean also. Mm. If you change what's inside a person, then their life will change. That is the new covenant. And that's what Jesus, I believe, was talking about. Are you with me? I don't think he was talking about bowls. I don't think he cares about bowls. <laughs> profound, hey? Yeah, that's so good. Second um, Corinthians 3, verses 3 and verse 7. 
this will tie in with um, uh, Ezekiel 36. Because remember, it's got to be found in the New Testament. We have to find it. Otherwise, it's I'm misinterpreting the Old Testament. You ready? Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 3 says, It's being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but of tablets of human hearts, or from the Greek more correctly, on hearts of flesh. Hmm. Ezekiel 36 says, I'll take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, right? Jeremiah 31, which is quoted in Hebrews 10, says, I will write my laws on their hearts. Mm. Yeah? You are a letter of Christ being cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets, excuse me, but on tablets of hearts of flesh. He has taken what was on the outside, which is the law, and put holiness on the inside, written it on your heart by the Holy Spirit. So the law was written on tablets of stone on the outside, but now he's put the law, which is holiness, hmm. on human hearts of flesh Yeah, on the inside. Paul was def- defending, he's not really defending himself, defending their ministry in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, do we need a letter? written by you or from us trying to like to endorse our ministry you with me because mm-hmm. there's these other apostles going around these other super apostles going around saying our ministries it you know comparing themselves to paul right and others and he says hey do we need a letter like to you or from you or about us that's endorsing our ministry and he says actually the only letter we need and i'm paraphrasing here is your changed lives as the proof of our ministry hmm. because we're ministers of a new covenant and because of what we preach to you that is christ crucified and christ resurrected when you believed your lives changed that's the new covenant and he says so the only proof i need of my ministry or our ministry is your changed lives you're a letter of christ because holiness because the law the spirit of god has written the law on the inside of you and now you're different on the inside so you can live differently your changed lives are the proof of our ministry. Verse 7 says this, if the ministry of death in letters written on stones, that's the old covenant, the minute calls it the ministry of death. If it came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory on his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the spirit fail to be even more with glory? So there's this old covenant ministry of death. It brings judgment for sin. It brings awareness of sin. It's written on stones, tablets of stone. Mm-hmm. But then there's a new covenant, which is written on the hearts of men. It puts mm. the law, the holiness of God on the inside of you. Yeah. So that you can enter the most holy place. So you can stand before God and say, I have access to you because I am now compatible with you. Mm. You've mm. given me your nature and put it on the inside. That's why Hebrews 10 finishes with now we have access it says now we can enter the most holy place through a new living way with Mm. true hearts in full assurance of faith yeah it's not just a statement about hey you know in for some i don't know um nondescript nebulous reason you can come to god freely because the preacher told you so even though that's true it's 
the author of Hebrews just explained the power of the body and blood of Jesus for three chapters. Therefore, because the blood of Jesus has made you holy, has cleansed your conscience, because the Spirit of God has written holiness on your heart on the inside and causes you to walk in his ways, because he's restored you to the image of God, made you compatible, therefore you can enter the holy place through a new and living way with full assurance of faith because you've been made, you're compatible again with God. Yeah. Because his whole point was not just forgiveness of sins, even though that is massive. He's not just a judge. His motive was relationship. Mm. And holiness can have no fellowship with unholiness. He wanted a people under himself. Mm. So you've been made compatible, which means you can walk into his presence and walk in fellowship with him. Yeah, man. He wants relationship. He wants oneness. Um, I'm going to drop real good. one more massive grenade description. Do it. Nuke it, man. Drop <laughs> <laughs> nuke. <laughs> we can probably talk about this another time, Jeff, but I'll blow this one open a bit more. But this is Genesis chapter 6. Uh, when I read this, it grieved my heart, but then also just exploded with hope. Genesis chapter 6 is one of the scariest and yet most amazing scriptures I've ever read. Um, Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, says this. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. Excuse me, I feel this emotion. Yeah. And he was grieved in his heart. The Lord was sorry that he made man. That's amazing, eh? Mm. He was, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will, I've forgotten verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man. This, this is the why. He saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only for evil continually. That's the condition of, of humanity apart from the blood of Jesus apart from the new creation. He looked and this is what he saw. The Lord was sorry that he made had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I'll blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Mm. If the condition of mankind is so being so corrupted by sin that God was grieved in his heart when he saw the condition of humanity, what on earth ever gave me or any of us the idea that the plan of redemption would leave us in that state? Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Dude. There's no way. He loves us too much. Mm. One of the cruelest things you can do to a person is tell them about redemption and leave them in their sin. Come on. If I stick a piece of paper in my toaster while it's on, it will light a fire, right? Right. But a toaster is not made for lighting fires and a new creation is not made for sin. I will damage the toaster in the process because it wasn't made for that. You're no longer compatible with sin. It's not what you were made for. Mm. I've watched people. Uh, I've got a great testimony. A friend of mine, she was pastoring a young guy, great young guy. And he's born again, giving his life to Christ, passionate for the Lord. And then he went away and um, 
and slept with his girlfriend. And uh, he came back and he was just distraught, mm-hmm. as, as you would imagine, and, uh, yeah. and feeling guilt and shame. And he's like, what's going on? You know, am I even changed? Those kind of comments. She pulled him aside and says, six months ago or whatever it was before you came to Christ, when you were sleeping with your girlfriend, did you really care? And he went, no. Nah. He goes, right. This is proof that you're a new creation. Wow. <laughs> because you are incompatible with it. <laughs> you're incompatible wow. with sin. You're remade for holiness. Hmm. Come on. Um, <laughs> I had a vision when I was getting this revelation about my identity in Christ. I had periodically just walked struggling with lust and, uh, and occasionally struggling with pornography for years. Mm-hmm. And I did all the right stuff. Now, I, I, I want to be really real. Like, I was in ministry and I was doing everything right. So, I, you know, I, I'd be accountable for the computer. I had complete transparency with pastors in my life, my wife, everything. I'm doing everything I knew to do. So everything's, everything's clear. I'm walking in seasons of freedom. So don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not just sure. But I'm doing all the stuff we know. Right? We know this stuff. I'm doing everything right. I'm walking in seasons of freedom. But the, the struggles and the, and the, the seasonal just slip up. So I was like, what the? And so, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd immediately go, I'd confess my sin. I'd get it straight out um, and then walk back into this, this, this season of freedom again. Yeah. But then, you know, the cycle would happen again, you know, whether it was a week or a month or even six months later. Sometimes it was quite a long time in between because, hey, mm-hmm. there's power in, 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 in what we're doing. Right. But I just couldn't seem to break this, this thing. And, um, and I'm still walking in this paradigm of like, I'm still a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. It's kind of an oxymoron because which is it? Am I a sinner or am I right. saved? You're right? right. By the grace of God. So um, anyway, um, one night I'm having, I was working really late one night. I was working at a restaurant. I'm driving. It's like a 40-minute drive from Augusta to, to Aiken, South Carolina. And uh, I'm driving home and one of my um, my leaders, he calls me and he says, oh, man, I, I've just slipped up in the same realm, right? And I looked at something on my phone and then he's got rid of it and he's, he's calling me straight away. And he's like, you know, and there's confession and repentance, of course, because the guy mm-hmm. loves Jesus. And you can feel the freedom, right? You can feel the breakthrough, as, as, you, as you would expect, right? Mm-hmm. But we'd be around this mountain a few times before and I experienced it as well. And so we were open with each other. I don't believe in this whole up-down leadership thing where you never yeah. transparent people you lead. I think it's rubbish. Yeah. Um, maybe it was a wineskin for a certain era, but it's pretty much burst now. Um and um, the prophets can pull that one apart later. Um, I'm a prophet too, so I'm right there with you. Um, and and I, I, I'm, I'm talking to a 40-minute conversation. You know, I get home, I pull into my, my driveway, and it's, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night, 11.30 at night. I'm sitting there in the car with the Bluetooth on, and I'm, we're praying together and we're talking. And um, anyway, you can feel the breakthrough, but, you know, I'm frustrated. As a, as a believer and as a, as a pastor, I'm frustrated. I'm like, what? What is this, God? Like, why can't I seem to walk in 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 perpetual and sustained freedom, even though I'm walking in a, a realm of freedom? Right. Why can't I get my guys free too? You know, mm. and I, I, you know, I finish the phone call, I hang up, and I'm praying this stuff, and I'm like, God, this is not okay. And I've pushed my revelation of grace to its limits. I'll let it hang for a second, because many of us listening, you've heard it. Like, we're living in Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. We're living there. So like I'm a God, I've dealt with the condemnation. I've dealt with the feelings of shame in, in a manner of speaking. What's the go? 
why can't I, like, like it's got to be there in the scriptures. And it is, we read it earlier, right? But it's almost like I didn't read it. It's like I'd never read Romans yeah. 6 before. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, I've been through Bible college. I, I've taught. I've... Yeah. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash donate and become a partner today. And, um, and so I go into this vision. And what I see is I'm watching this massive giant striding through heaven. Now, when I say massive giant, I'm not talking like Goliath, like nine foot, 10 foot tall. This giant was tall like a skyscraper. Right? So this massive giant, like, you know, crush a city with its feet sort of giant. And um, it was so tall that in the vision, because of the angle that I was seeing at, I couldn't actually see past much past its knees. And I mean, this guy, this giant, it's like, purposefully like strive striding through the heavens man like boom 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 like confident fast you know when someone's striding with confidence and speed is confident fast footsteps boom 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 through the heavens and as it's as it strides past me in this vision i watch its foot just kick like clip this little tiny rock and it doesn't stumble it doesn't stop its stride it just corrects its footing immediately like just corrects the footing and just keeps on going but no stopping no nothing like it's almost like it almost wasn't there and i heard the holy spirit say this to me and i'm going to make sure i quote it word for word holy spirit said this to me what if for the believer sin is just the momentary uncharacteristic little of a rock of a saint striding through the heavenlies rather than the inevitable failure of a sinful man or woman he said man trying desperately striving desperately to get himself out of his sin Hmm. i'll say it again what if for the believer sin is just the momentary uncharacteristic little of a rock rather than of a, excuse me of a saint striding through the heavenlies rather than the inevitable failure of a sinful man striving desperately to get out of his sin that in itself was a paradigm changer for me. And it began a process of understanding who I am in Christ that was very, very rapid and brought me into sustained and incredible freedom. But I, <laughs> God knows me, I wanted to understand more. <clears throat> I wanted to get more out of it. So I said to the Holy Spirit, like I pushed into him, I pushed me deeper. I want to understand exactly what you're saying in no uncertain terms. Give me greater understanding so i leaned into him with my eyes closed and then you know for those that play you know like um mario kart or playstation or something like that then you're playing one of those video games or those play those um those game consoles you know when you've got the big tv in front of you and the screen splits in two mm-hmm. and you've got the guy on top and the guy on the bottom yeah so hopefully everyone's with me i'm sure with the amazing intro you guys have with that retro video game mm. motif going on which i love by the way yeah couch co-op, yeah. yeah couch co-op where you get the <laughs> yep come on so you know you got you know player one on the top half of the screen and player two with their 
with their with their with their cart or their um their race car on the bottom, mm-hmm. and the screen the screen split in two, and on top was this giant striding through the heavens, and it's beautiful and white and clean, and then the bottom half of the screen opened up to me, and I and I leaned, I zoomed into it, and what I could see, excuse me, I could feel yeah, highly anointing, um, was this. I heard the scripture from Genesis. Uh, it says the earth was formless and void. And I could see this black terrain and the sky was red and dark. And it was almost like um, we were at the end of time, even though I'm not sure I would believe in that, but like just get the picture on my point, like where, where the universe was like burned out or even before there was, before creation, so to speak, or before the earth that we know was formed. And there was this horrible landscape, just this like, dead landscape of just dead not even soil like not even ash just this dead black landscape and these craters everywhere and there's no sun the sky was this dim dead dark like red yellow color red red orange color and all these craters were filled with tar it's black tar this black oozy substance and it was a living it was just living tar and i knew it was evil and right in front of me was a man and he was in one of these pits of tar and he's about knee deep, maybe a bit more. And he's trying desperately to stand up. And um, he's reaching up desperately to the sky and he's like half on his knees trying to stand up. And he's just a black silhouette of a man. I can see the agony on his face. And wrapped around him, coming up out of the pool with these like straps of living black tar. And they were pulling him back down into the tar. And every time he'd desperately claw one of the straps off, another one would like whip up out of the tar pit and, and grab him again. And he said to me, that's how you see yourself. Wow. You're, you see yourself as a sinful man trying desperately to get to reach towards the heavens. But the top view is who you really are. Come on. Wow. You're a saint striding through the heavenlies and for you sin is uncharacteristic and it's it's and and if if you happen to sin not when but if you sin it's uncharacteristic and a momentary and you don't even have to he wouldn't even give me the word stumble would not let me have it the holy spirit was strict about it when i was trying to articulate what he put in my spirit he said you can't even have the word stumble which is why i said why he said like like for the for the believer sin is just the momentary little of a rock Mm mm-hmm he would not have, let me have the word stumble. Wow. We've got to yeah. change who we are, change who we see who we are. Because even in that vision, it wasn't, it wasn't, the giant didn't stumble. He didn't stumble. No. He lived without a sin consciousness. He's like, he's almost like he didn't notice it. He just, just kept on walking in holiness. He's like, oh, that's not, just put it behind him. Just kept walking in holiness. Mm. Wow. There's a revelation being released to the body of Christ. I'm seeing it especially from Romans 6, across the body of identity and freedom from these cycles of sin. We walk in holiness, not by our own efforts, because that's a trap, but by faith, by, mm. by knowing the truth. Jesus said, you, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Um, it's not the truth itself, just standing there. It's actually... You have to know it. And when you know it, then the truth will make you free. It's like when you know who you truly are, 
when the enemy comes with temptation or comes with anxiety or comes with lies, you're able to dismiss them because you know the truth. Mm. If you think they're your thoughts, you can take him captive all day. You're just going to go round and round and round in circles. And I've experienced it. Some of you online that are listening to this, you've experienced it, especially with anxiety, but also other thoughts as well. You know, the enemy's sick. Like, he really is sick. Like, I'm not trying to be exaggerating. He's actually the the, the author of evil. He is sick. And he can put all all sorts of thoughts and and feelings in your head. And they're not from you. Mm -hmm. If you think they're from you, you're going to be like, oh, man, I'm, oh, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. And you're going to be, you take these thoughts captive and then you put them aside and then the thought comes again. But because you still think it's your thought or your feeling or your desire, man, you're going to be identifying with that thing. You're just going to spend your whole life in torment, putting thoughts captive and then they come back again because you Mm -hmm. think they're yours. But if you can take them captive to the truth that that you're a new creation, that you've been made holy on the inside, once you begin to confess that, the lie just starts to crumble. And you're like, oh, that's not my thought. Devil, you can say that all day. I know it's not true. Mm -hmm. And then you'll give up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and for me too, it was a... um, it was realizing I would have these, I say I would be at a store, for example, um, and there'd be different departments and, and I'd, I'd walk through um, or I'd, you know, at the time I was in YOM and I was um, leading discipleship training schools. And so I had students and I'd walk into a room and there'd be like a single student in there in a dark room with his back to the wall in the back corner at 1130 at night. And I immediately hear, pornography and i think i'm judging him like i'll get thoughts the holy spirit will actually be giving me revelation right and i think that it's me judging him and i'm like whoa judge judgy mcjudgerson much there you go <laughs> chat i say that all the time so you're welcome to the chat um uh, <laughs> but, you know i had like these moments where i'd be like or i'd be walking through the supermarket and all of a sudden I walk by somebody and all of a sudden I have a thought of like sorrow or anxiety or lust or whatever it is. And it's actually not me. So that actually is, that was in me learning that I realized that I had, God was actually giving me revelation about people right. um, of how to pray for them. Um, yep. And, and that's another, that's a whole nother thing. In addition to what you're talking about too, because yep. you have those, those thoughts of the old man, and Satan trying to remind you of somebody you're not anymore. But then there's also that other side of as you're growing and as you're moving in the Lord, having that revelation of the Holy Spirit giving you downloads about people and then being yeah. like, and that that took a long time for me too. I just felt like I needed to address that too, because there's some people who are maybe further in the process of growth with the Lord than others, you know? And so some people might be in this point of anguish, like I was, where I was like, Oh man. And I would like repent for things that weren't even me. And God was like, no, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to use you to help people. <laughs> yeah. you know? I was like, Oh, totally. no. <laughs> there's a, there's so many therefores that uh, come out of this revelation of the really, what really is just the fullness of the gospel. And, um, and it reframes some of the things like discernment. Um, if you're able to separate a person from their sin, um, or, or the sin or the, or the spirits that are coming against them, the temptations that are coming against them, then what you're really identifying is the things that are coming against them, not necessarily who, not actually who they are. 
And so then you're able to make a distinction. You're able to go, oh man, that's not judgment. Judgment is when you, uh, I'll leave that alone for the moment. That's too hard um, in, in one statement. But um, um, by the way, the word actually says that the word of God judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. Like it actually discerns. Now, the word judgment, most of the time, in the New Testament is a word called diakrinos, which is to divide something um, among other things. Um, sorry, it's krinos, not diakrinos. Diakrinos is doubt. Um, uh, is, to, is to divide something. And so it actually is able to divide up, like say, hey, this is who the person was made to be, and these are the things that they're in bondage to. Hmm. And that's, that's actually a biblical form of judgment. Like it's perfectly fine. Hmm. Both for towards an unbeliever and a believer, because unbelievers are enslaved to sin, mm-hmm. absolutely enslaved to it. That's the, the um, I haven't got scriptures in front of me, but uh, but we can certainly pull them out. Um, and that's the very thing we've been set free from. Uh, it says that we've become partakers of the divine nature through faith mm-hmm. in His promises, having um, having been freed from our bondage to lust, having been freed from. Excuse me, we are partakers of the divine nature, having been. Um, uh, uh, set free from corruption through lust or through desire. So the power of these desires and, and, and things for sin, which are in the flesh, we've actually been set free from that. That's the world's mm. business. We've been made in his image again, and, and now we live by the spirit, not by the old man who's dead. Mm. Um, so, so when you feel those things, even on a believer, you're able to go, hang on a second, they're enslaved to something that isn't part of who they are. Mm. That's, that's, that's great discernment. And then you're able to, because you can make a separation between them and the thing that they're facing. And then you're able to not only pray for them, but also prophesy freedom because the spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus, the blood of Jesus testifies to the availability of our freedom. Mm. So you're able to say to that person when appropriate, um, when I say when appropriate, I don't mean appropriate, like from man's wisdom, I mean appropriate as in the Holy Spirit directs you. Then you have to say, hey, man, I know that there's sin in your life. That there's things happening in your life, but I want to tell you, it's not who you are. Mm. Jesus has made you free, and he's mm. and he's told me because he's bringing you into that freedom. Mm. You know, that's just one example of how that can play out. Yeah. But when we rightly discern the gospel and the fullness of its power, then everything else makes sense. Yeah. Especially our discernment. Come on. Um, mm. Yeah. In well, terms I, of, sorry, go, go ahead. No, go. Nope. All you go for it. You're awesome, Jeff. In terms of this new covenant, new creation idea, just to kind of wrap it up, because leaving some of these strings sort of detached can leave people in a bad spot. To put it in a nutshell, freedom has been bought for you and you can be free. The point is not to bring condemnation, because sometimes when people hear the availability of this, of freedom, they will and I, I've seen this and I'm sure people are listening and I, I, I hear God's heart for you. And I've done this too at times, begin to compare themselves and say, well, there's a bar here, but I'm here. So what's wrong with me? Or I can't live up to this. But that's actually not the case. The truth is that you've already been set free and Jesus is going to come and show you. So, good. so don't let condemnation come. He's already forgiven you your sins. And there's so much more available for you at the buffet and he's going to show you. So the, the hope and the, that you have is that he, he's promised you freedom. If you're struggling, it's not who you are anymore. So don't identify with it. Um, the difference between between shame and guilt, guilt says I've done something wrong. 
shame says there's something wrong with me. Mm. And Jesus has dealt with both. If you're still identifying with the thing you're struggling with, I want to tell you the good news is that it's not who you are anymore. You don't have to identify with um, it's almost like if we hear the gospel or half the gospel that we, our sins have been forgiven, but that we don't get told we're a new creation. We can imagine you're at the airport, right? And you've got your, your carry on baggage, which is, you know, your, you know, your seven kilos, your, you know, whatever your, you know, your 23 inches by whatever mm-hmm. that you get to carry on. Yeah. And then you've got your check-in luggage, right? And it's, you know, it's 20, 22 kilos or whatever it's 50 pounds, 50 pounds, and, yeah. uh, 50 pounds for your two bags. And that's too heavy to carry around. Right. Mm-hmm. Imagine that was guilt, but your carry-on luggage was shame. If we didn't get told we're new creations and what that actually means, when we come to the to the cross and we get saved, we check in our guilt. It's too heavy. You can't carry two 50-pound 50 50 bags around all the time. Even a strong person, that's too inconvenient for them to do life meaningfully, right? The weight of your guilt is too heavy for you. It's going to drag you to hell, and you checked it in at the cross. So Jesus has that now; it's taken away, right? But if we don't get told when new creations, we carry this backpack around of shame. We're like, "Oh man, I know I'm forgiven, but I'm not good enough." Mm. I want to tell you, you're a new creation. Come on! So you don't have to identify. You can let go of the the backpack full of weights that oh, you've been carrying okay. around that still identifies with the old oh, man. It's not who you are anymore. And as you submit that to the cross, give that to Jesus Christ. He'll show you that that hey, it's not who you are anymore. Let me walk you into freedom. If, if uh, I'll sort of speak this a, a little bit prophetically now, but um, <laughs> I've never worn a white suit in my life, and I probably never will. <laughs> so but like nothing, nothing wrong with that. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on the show next time, and I'm like white suit. Boom. Yeah. God told me to, yeah. <laughs> <Woo>! uh, <laughs> but um, a little great on some people, but probably not on me. Mm. Um, but if you're wearing a white suit or ladies, if you're wearing a white dress, what's the one thing you don't want to happen when you go to an event? You don't want anything getting on it. Mm-hmm. Right? But if you're just wearing your street clothes, you just cash, especially if they're darker colors, you know, if I'm in my like, you know, if in your workout pants or uh, whatever, right? Or your old pair of shorts that you're painting the house with or, Whatever, right? If something gets on it, you don't really care. Right? That's what it's kind of what it's there for, right? And we call them street clothes. But a bride goes to a wedding in a white dress. Yeah. If you know that you're righteous and that you've been robed in white, clothed in white, the idea of getting something on you, the idea of sin, is repulsive. But if you think that you're still a sinner and you're wearing, you think you're still wearing street clothes then what's one more stain? How you see yourself will affect how you respond to sin and temptation. If you know that you're clothed in white, right, you will, the idea of getting sin on yourself is repulsive to you. Mm, like, man, I'm not so doing good. that. That's not who I am. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the king. I don't do that. It's gross. Mm. Um, even just in little things, like little things of conscience where you're not even doing something that's outwardly sin, but you know that you're, the motive that which you, with, with which you would be doing that would be outside of who you are. When you know you're righteous, you're like, man, it's not about legalism. It's not about any of that junk. You're just like, I know who I am. I'm not, I'm not touching that, man. I'm not touching mm. yeah. Listen, for too long, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ has gone to a wedding in her street clothes. 
She knows she is. Yeah. She's getting a revelation. And sin is losing its power. And the enemy is really angry. <laughs> I'm not worried about the enemy's angry, but he's he's like a kid with a tantrum, right? Mm-hmm. It's changing. It's changing. And I believe that this revelation of the righteousness of faith, the, the righteous identity of us as saints, our freedom from these cycles of sin, is going to be a household doctrine in our generation. Grace is now a household doctrine in our generation, and it's only taken, depending on what you're talking about, between 20 and 40 years, just one or two generations. And I believe we can see this change in one generation. Come on. Where when, and it's, it's, I'm seeing it rapidly already. Maybe it can change bigger than that. Um, uh, you know, technology used to change, you know, every sort of, you know, 40 or 50 years. Now it changes every 10. There's no reason why revelation can't be the same or, or faster. Yeah. Yeah, the speed of instantaneous is faster than light, right? Um, but it's just normal now to get saved and be told, "Hey, you're a new creation. Your old man died. You don't have to. You're not that old person anymore." And the cycles of sin that you used to live in, instantaneous freedom. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like getting learning to drive a car. If you get taught by Uncle So and So, who taught you teaches you really bad habits, then you'll think that's Christianity. Mm. But if you get taught the truth, right from birth or rebirth, you just never know any different. Hey, yeah. this is the correct way to parallel park a car. It's just normal for me to walk free. Mm. Yeah. And I think to going back to something you said earlier, which was um, it was um, identity and anxiety, right? Are two of the big areas that, that Satan is, is really hammering into people right now. And it seems to have ramped up. And I think that if my, my, I would say over the past year, my, my perspective on what's really going on has shifted, I would say exponentially to where I don't look at that. I mean, yeah, there's sorrow. I feel when I see people that are in bondage that are in leadership and are indoctrinating younger individuals. However, I can see what God is doing and that what we're seeing is not this increase of evil to the point where like, where we've, we've been so focused on what Satan is doing, but I'm like, Satan is doing something in response to what he there sees go. God doing. And Correct. so, oh man, I feel this dude. Like it's, I have this line. so much time and emphasized and elevated what Satan is doing. And yep. like, we need to comp. I'm like, I'm more interested in what God, if Satan's doing this, what is God doing? And that's what really shifted my focus. Yes. And if we could do that as the body of Christ, if we could shift our focus over to what God is doing, that Satan is doing in response to what God is doing. God, exactly. God is always ahead of what the enemy is doing. Exactly. God is always ahead. So uh. we need to shift our focus to what God is doing. What, what is heaven doing right now that has Satan so afraid? Man, Jeff, oh, Lord spoke to me and he showed me something. He says that Satan's not an initiator. He's just an early adopter. Yeah. So God is doing something in the earth and then Satan is, he's ama- he's, he was amazing before he fell. He's a smart guy, picks up on it early and it's like, how can I, what can I do to prevent this or attempt to? He obviously can't stop God, what God's doing. Whatever's born of God overcomes the world. Um but he'll do everything he can to pervert it, to 
to, to divert it, to anything you can, to distract, to, because he knows it's inevitable. The body is getting a revelation of the truth mm. and, um, and he's freaked out. Uh, I really feel prophetic that there's a couple of things God is doing. One is the revelation of identity, yeah. of, of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, um, both positional and in a change of our nature, what it really means to be new creations. Um, but also he's amalgamating the church. So think about the other thing that's happened is division, or at least on the surface, um, a lot of division about things and blah, blah, blah. But I'm watching that those that are truly leaning into Jesus Christ, it's almost like um, people say, oh, the, the, the denominational walls are falling. And I'd say, what denominational walls? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we've known each other for an hour and 27 minutes, and I'm already one spirit right with you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I drove nine hours from um, South Carolina to um, Ohio um, for a conference. And on the way, the enemy tried to kill Mandy and I um, through a bolt of lightning at the car. I'll give that testimony later. It was the wildest thing I've ever seen. We got there and met the senior pastors who we'd never met before. We knew that we knew the people that were um, head of the ministry that was doing the conference that we were speaking at, but we'd never met the senior pastors of the church before met them, shook their hands and hugged them. We fell to the ground weeping because we knew that we were both people, four, all four of us were people that had given our lives to Jesus Christ and were filled with the same spirit. Mm. We'd never met each other before. We were one, instantly so fell cool. in love with each other instantly. Yeah. And um, that conference, I asked the Lord, because I'd seen some other things happening um, that had kind of um, almost like discouraged me because I was looking at the world. And, uh, and, you know, like you said, we don't want to know what the enemy's doing. We don't know what heaven is doing. Um, Corrie Ten Boom once said, um, there's no panic in heaven. There's always, God always has a plan. There's no problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he, he, he said to me, I'm amalgamating the church. Mm. And um, he said to me, not like a business gets amalgamated where you take different parties and make them one company. He said, I want you to look it up, what amalgam really means. And so I went and researched it, or research, I just looked it up. And he showed me that an amalgam is when you add mercury to a metal, to an alloy, to a mix. And what happens is it will bond at a molecular level without being reforged. Interesting. But there are certain metals like iron that won't bond with an amalgam. They'll be excluded. They won't bond. Hmm. And he showed me, he says, I'm amalgamating the church of one spirit. And they won't have to reforge and reframe and re-administrate and restructure. Their hearts will be knit to, together at a molecular level, one spirit, mm. instantaneously. Come on, that's so good. You won't have to pull anything down. You'll just, you'll just recognize each other and be like, man, you're one spirit with me. Mm. And there'll be a love connection that forms instantaneously because you know you've got the spirit of Christ, one spirit. Mm. And um, all these artificial attempts at unity, they're just weird. Yeah. Um, because you legislate stuff that doesn't need to be legislated. If you, it's, it's a lot of it can be extra big biblical where you're like, yeah. Oh, I got an idea. Let's do this thing. And then it becomes this formula and it just never, yeah, you're right. It never works. Yeah. Or um, worse, you compromise. Yeah. Um, and you start to mix iron with mercury and amalgam. It doesn't go. Um, you'll, you'll put liberal, like theology. <laughs> liberal theology, Basically, yeah, liberal theology, <laughs> licentiousness into something that won't mix but it's of the flesh. And he showed me the iron is the flesh and it doesn't mix because we're not of the flesh, we're of the spirit. So good. And he's amalgamating his church. 
So good. Um, I know we're just about out of time for me. Yeah. Uh, but, we we're um, going to talk about biblical literacy, everybody. But you know what, man? Let's just do another <laughs> one. Let, let's just do another because that's a whole other thing. And then you can really build that out. So um, I was going to say, you, yeah. you just dropped the liberal theology uh, line. Uh, once again, um, and this has happened before in revival, the 1800s, people were saying things like, um, well, you know, the, the word of God's kind of the word of God, but it's not really. And, and they brought all this um, uh, textual criticism, but at an extent, at a point that began to question the authority of the word of God and begin to that read. Was in the 1800s. It started in the 1800s. It happened in the 1800s. It happened um, late in the Reformation. Okay. It's also happened in the early ninth, in the early 20th century. Wow. Um, uh, Billy Graham's mates took him aside one day when he was at Bible college and said, "Hey, your revelation that uh, the Word of God is uh, the Word of God is naive. We're a bit more uh, sophisticated than that." And they took him aside and they tried to tell him all this stuff. He just went off into the bush for a day with his Bible, put it on a, a tree stump, and began to pray. And at, at some point. The Holy Spirit was downloaded to him and said, this is the word of God. And he walked out and he was never the same. And his, mini- his public ministry started very soon after that. Wow. Um, but these things happen, right? But just like this whole, like the enemy, what the enemy is doing now is just in response to what God's doing. I have noticed that every time there's revival, in fact, like a, a full-blown awakening on the earth, this stuff starts to happen because God is restoring uh, a revelation of the authority and understanding of his word. Hmm. So actually on the surface, the ferment of liberal theology is nothing more than the enemy's response to the reality that we're in. We're about to enter in a revival. And I've noticed some people call it neo-orthodoxy. Um, unfortunately, neo-orthodoxy can mean a few things. Um, if you're talking about interpretation of the Bible, neo-orthodoxy actually kind of means something very unfortunate when we start to do liberal theology. But neo-orthodoxy in terms of church history language means it's a return to the authority of the Bible, among other things, and the orthodoxy of the church, which is this, the, the gospel. Like what you're hearing? Help us continue to make Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. To get behind this ministry, visit ElijahFire.com slash donate. Now, back to the show. Um, but theological labels aside, it is my observation that historically, there is always this radical return to the authority of the scriptures and to clear Holy Spirit inspired interpretation of the scriptures mm. every time there's a, a fresh awakening. And we're seeing it right now, which is why we're seeing a bunch of liberal theology as well. Um, to define liberal theology, liberal theology in a nutshell, now you have all sorts of, of um, different, uh, different inter- Call it definitions of liberal theology, but my liberal theology definition is a man standing on two canoes. And I'll explain what I mean by that. If you were in the water and you put one foot in one canoe and one foot in another, you're going to be like this the whole time, right? Because as one canoe moves, you have to remove the other canoe, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens is liberal theology exalts the thought processes of man as the highest um, ideal and it reads culture into the scriptures rather than letting the scriptures read us. And what happens is as one value shifts, your interpretation idea has to shift with it. So the two canoes, you're like a man trying to tell a lie. You're not really sure what you believe at any time because the pillars are always moving. Um, it's, it's, it's like putting two heavy pillars on a, on, a, on a foundation of two feet of sand. They're just going to sink and move all the time. There's no stability because you don't actually have anything um, that's secure, what you ultimately do 
is you exalt human reason. And unfortunately, that is not only unable to access the revelation of God, but um, it also is subject to the cultures and frameworks of its time, and it would consistently move its interpretation of the scriptures. It also assumes that the supernatural is um, not true, has a naturalistic uh, uh, presupposition, which is to say it assumes that supernatural doesn't exist. So its, its interpretation of the scriptures is ironically unscientific, and uh, it assumes a lot of things already. So it just throws out ideas. So when it comes to like the prophetic, it's like, well, Isaiah must have been written after the exile because um, how could it know? You know, or Daniel must have been written, you know, close to, to 1 or 30 AD because how could it know? Like it, it just all these things start to come where it'll ask questions. And unfortunately, I've seen Bible colleges do this. Uh, they'll read um, some of the minor prophets and they'll be like, well, how would we interpret that in our time with our culture? Ooh. I'm like, oh. eh, wrong question. Ooh, yeah. The question itself is tainted um, because what you really need to say is what is the culture and theology of heaven? Yeah. Um, and that's why I say the best way to interpret scripture is through scripture with the help of the Holy Spirit. Come on. So um, every so generation, the next generation of liberal theology, it just exalts whoever has the newest, most intellectual and convincing argument, but it never, ever actually finds the truth. Um, it can't see Jesus. It's just tainted by principles and th- philosophy and powerless principles too that can't change your life. Ultimately, it wants it's the spirit of Antichrist. Oh, that sounds extreme. Don't don't get all up upset about that, or even get overly engaged with that statement. It is the spirit of Antichrist, because Jesus changes lives through faith in Him. It's not a powerless gospel, but principles and philosophy are powerless. Colossians chapter two verse eight says um, that we. I've got it written here. Um, uh, where are you? Actually, I don't have it written there. Um, bust it out, man. Bust it out. Bust it out. Yeah. And then we need to end because you actually need to go. You told Drive me. Drive my beautiful yeah. wife to the airport. <laughs> yeah. You already see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. Now, the Greek word for elementary principles is wild. Um, for in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you've been made complete. Mm. Um, Jesus is all you need. Now, in Jesus is a lot, and you need to understand it. Um, but in him, in just through faith in his blood, all of the things, the transformation, the freedom, all of that is there. But, but liberal theology, among other things, and it's really a spirit, wants to pull you into all this other stuff and interpretations that don't mean anything and that are powerless. And, and philosophies of men that go round and round in circles or legalism or um, re-embracing traditions and, 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 and uh, all these things that have no power to change you. Hmm. Um, uh, where are we? Uh, I think this is Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, beloveds, since you look for these things, it's talking about the return of Christ, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, 
in which are some things hard to understand. Let's be honest, hey, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also to the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. Jude 1.19 talks about people um, teaching that the grace of God is licensed to sin. And he said, these are the ones who cause divisions, the worldly minded and devoid of the spirit, because it's the spirit who gives revelation. That's why I say the best way to interpret the scriptures is through the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit, because worldly thinking and philosophy, no matter how smart you are, isn't going to get you there. You need the scripture and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Charles Mm -hmm. Finney, uh, I was reading about him in God's Generals a few years ago, and I got to the part where it says he spoke to his friend and he said, um, I don't believe it unless I can see it in the scriptures and I have a witness from the Holy Spirit. I had, the, you know, God's Generals, this big, thick book. I actually threw the book across the room, stood up in my chair, and I was like, that's my boy. I've got Colossians too, but anyway. And, um, you know, 2 Timothy 3, 5 says that you've got these people that are divisive and full of all these philosophies. It says, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's liberal theology in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Always learning and never able to come to a a, a knowledge of the truth. Um, Jeff, I know I've like unloaded all the cannons. Can I finish with one last statement? Yeah, absolutely. And we can break it open when we get to. Uh... No, I know honestly, like, because this, this to me, all of this is is. I really want. I really want to get into this, and so when I have you come back, we're gonna <laughs> carve out some time, dude. Because I'm, I love this kind of stuff. So, come on. what? I, you're coming back, okay? <laughs> you don't have a say. <laughs> you don't have a say in it, okay? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, amen. Um, I believe we're walking into a time where Bible colleges that are really following the Holy Spirit are about to change the way they teach Paul's epistles. In fact, all of the epistles. They are not subjective statements of theology that are, you know, I believe you think this, but you think that. Mm -hmm. We're going to see a time when, and they're not textbooks that are broken into chapters. They're letters that are are continuous trains of thought that are gospel-centric. Christ-centric, New Covenant-centric. We're about to walk into a day where they are not subjectively discussed but explained because they were written to be understood. Come on. Wow. You don't write a letter to discuss a th- um, to discuss an idea that you don't understand mm-hmm. when you're writing to someone and you're pastoring. You write the letter to explain something that you know to be truth with authority so they can understand it mm. and walk in it. That's what the New Testament epistles are. That's what they do. And we're walking into a, a time where we're going to see them taught with authority and with clarity and understood in a way where it's not subjective and not left with questions, but it's clear. Yeah. When Jesus taught, they said of him, you don't teach like the scribes and Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You teach as one having authority. We're going to see it. They're meant to be understood. And they, they are clear. And they're not broken into chapters, and we're going to see it in our time. Mm. Man, I want to go read my Bible, dude. That's what I <laughs> Come want on, to do. get the word in you. It's, yeah, 
It's delicious. Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. I want to have you pray for people. Okay. Because yeah. there's some people prime right now with what you yeah. what we talked about about new identity. Um, there are some people that are prime right now. Awesome. Um, so take it away. Father, I pray that you thank you for your revelation. Thank you for what you're doing on the earth right now. Father, I ask that you would release unto all of your beautiful bride and all my beautiful brothers and sisters listening and watching a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. The eyes of our hearts being enlightened so that we would know what is the hope of your calling and what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe the same power that rose Christ from the dead. Would you give us a revelation of Ephesians chapter 2, Dad, that when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, you made us alive. Would you give us a revelation of Romans 6? Father God, would you give us a revelation of our identity in Christ? Give us a revelation of freedom. And release it right now, the revelation that it's not who they are anymore to walk in sin. It's not who you are to walk anymore in, in, in anxiety. It is not who you are. You are free. You are free. And there is no condemnation for those in Christ. And you can have fellowship with the Father because the door is open. Lord, release it, Lord. I break every lie right now in the name of Jesus. I bind every deceiving spirit, every spirit of accusation and guilt and fear and shame be broken now in the name of Jesus. Get off them. Get off them. And I prophesy we're going to hear that people have got off, been able to get off medications and and and, and um, different coping structures that they've had to enact because they're going to walk in freedom. And I really feel you're not even going to have to like, you know, some people say they got off their medication by faith. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're going to experience freedom so that you won't have to do these things anymore. And I break the lie that you're going to have to spend your entire life doing these things right now in the name of Jesus. I re release hope and I silence the lies of the accuser that say, oh, you're never good enough or you're not going to obtain this. It has been bought for you. And you don't, have to, you don't have to strive to do anything. You can rest in him and he will do it. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask for times of intimacy with the Father where you'd re re reveal the truth and reveal yourself to them, that they would see your face, God, and see your reflection in it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Woo, man. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, testimonies, people. I want to see them. I want to see them in those comments. Light it up. Light up the comments, everybody, for months and years to come. Amen. All right, man. Um, you're not really on. You're not really on social media, right? I'm not at the moment. We may change that in the coming yeah. month, but okay. months. But I just felt not to be for what a while. I want people to do. All right. I want you, there's a link in the description. I've linked to episodes six and 11 of Mandy Woodhouse's Ooh. podcast of Outrageous Hope. Come there's on. Spotify links. You guys can go listen to them there. You can listen to it on Google Podcasts as well. I think she's still working on Apple Podcasts, or maybe it's on there now. I can't remember. But we, we probably went through Apple. Moment, yeah, yeah there's a spotify link you guys can go right there and listen to those there's more of this okay and it's so good um but we're definitely gonna have you back and we're gonna we are gonna jump we're gonna go nuts all right bro we're gonna go nuts. Amen. 
Praise right, God. We talk all about biblical literacy, canon, covenants, meta narrative, and we're going to talk even more about liberal theology because we just kind of scratched the surface, and we need to really get into that because there's some bad theology floating around right now. So, um, let's pull it apart. Amen. Yeah, hey, dude. Man, somebody from guys. Twitch, dude. Somebody from Twitch. I just saw that a demon spirit left me. Thank you. Oh, my hey, round man. steak for three three eight. That's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. It's a uh, username. Anyways, come on. All right, yeah. So more testimonies, guys. Light them up in the comments, dude. Thank you so much. Seriously, thank you, Jeff. This was amazing, and I cannot, cannot, cannot wait to do it again, man. Bless you guys. Yeah. Love you all very much. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Mandy. Whoa. Anyways, I'm going to finish this. Guys, join us on Monday. We've got Abby Duplaga back. It is going to be an amazing, amazing episode. She's a children's book author. She just released a new book or it's on pre-order. So we're going to be talking all about that. Um, and it's just going to be a great time. So join us on Monday, 2 p.m. Pacific time. 5 p.m. Eastern time. Have an amazing weekend, everybody. Go read the Bible. We'll see you on Monday. Bye. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Click the link in the description for more info on how you can donate today.